Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. Uh, it is Thursday evening. Happy almost Memorial Day weekend. Hope everybody gets a chance to go out and whatever you're going to do, barbecue, hang out with the fam, go check, go to the beach. Jealous of those who get to do that. I will be um, in town uh, doing what I do, a little radio action on the weekend, and uh, thinking about the next steps to uh, cover the Washington Commanders. Obviously, uh, we were out there on Tuesday uh, for OTAs. We'll be back next week. Uh, another person who was out there this week for OTAs is Logan Paulson, of course, part of the Commanders uh, website. He does a lot of the video work on there with Julie Donaldson. He's part of their podcast, and he has his own uh, Instagram feed that you need to uh, check out, Logan underscore Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N, the number 82. Um, I got the chance to start talking to Logan. I think the first time I really had a, a, a more of a detailed conversation with him. I know he's been around for a little bit but um, as an analyst, but it was at the Combine, and ever since then, I've really enjoyed talking with him a lot. We talked uh, this week about OTAs and what we saw out there. Mostly, I asked what he saw out there <laughs> as the former player. Yeah, we talked about the tight end. You, you'll be not surprised about that. But we spent a lot of time just getting a feel from his perspective about what is going on at the OTAs that maybe somebody, you know, media people aren't going to notice as much. We talked about Carson Wentz, of course. It's only, we were out there, it was day one of OTAs. Um, Logan was out there, you know, since he's there with the team, he's out there the rest of the week. So he saw a little bit more. But, you know, what? what's the sense of his comfort level at this point? And we talked about the defensive communication. We talked about potential roster sleepers and more. And we played a little bit, not so much a game, but I asked him a few questions and then we're going to compare it in a few weeks to where he's at maybe after minicamp or something like that. So a really fun uh, conversation with a guy who definitely knows his football and Logan Paulson. Uh, We'll get to that in a moment here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can subscribe to on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere else you do your podcasting. Also, check out my work on The Athletic. New story up on Friday. Uh, it is insanely too early to do a 53-player projection, but your boy is nuts. Um, I decided to do it. It was like I was trying to think of a different way to talk about kind of the OTAs, and my thought was, let's just sort of lay out where I think we are kind of right now with the players and, and the battles, but also which groups are the most intriguing uh, right now going through these OTA and mini camps. So I grouped the positions from least to most intriguing. We'll see where, uh, we'll see what you think of, you know, think of your group in advance and then go check out my list and see uh, if, if we match up and, and where as well. And, you know, it's obviously, you know, a hundred things are going to happen between now and, the end of August when the roster final cuts are due. But at the same point, you know, it'll be interesting to sort of compare kind of where we are now and who emerges along the way. So you can check that out for sure. Um, So we were out there Tuesday. They did two more days of practice, but we were not out there. So we we will not be out there as a media contingent until next Wednesday. What's going also on on next Wednesday is um, Virginia State Senators will be voting on a funding bill for uh, potentially a new uh, stadium for the commanders. 
And, you know, this is, you know, we've been talking about this for a while here, just the broad strokes that Virginia is the one that needed to be the most aggressive of the three uh, areas, right? Virginia, D.C., Maryland. D.C. is the home run spot because of the RFK site. The problems are among them. The land is owned by the federal government. I believe the basic deal is if you want to switch the if you want to switch the terms of the lease or for for the for DC to be able to uh well you know what B- basically you have to you have to break up the lease and start over if you want to have the the mini city like that Washington would want or some version of it and the lease isn't designed for that and it doesn't look like right now that the federal government is interested in changing anything so that seems like a long shot then you've got state of Maryland the st- Maryland said they would put up 400 million towards uh building structures around the stadium in other words you know shopping hotels uh, things along those lines so that's not nothing but it doesn't really help on the stadium virginia was the one that was talking big a while ago a billion dollars perhaps uh you know now that number is down to 350 million and over the last 24 hours there have been multiple state senators who have come out and said they're not going uh, they're going to switch their vote and there was a previous vote one of the earlier stages it was basically a 32 to 8 uh vote in favor of a funding a funding bill now i don't know what the whip count is per se but as i said three different state senators have come out and said um they would be against it uh the wgfk interviewed multiple of them i know matt paris who was with me on the last episode had somebody as well in his story for the washington times um i spoke to a state senator and I presented this information, or these options, I should say. When the vote comes, will it pass? Will it not pass? Or will it be tabled for the next uh, year? So basically, and I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert on Virginia politics, but from what I gather, they're going on recess pretty soon here, or I guess at the end of the month. And once that happens, they're not back for months. This is not a full-time job. They all have full-time jobs. So if you don't get this done, you're not, you know, the, the commanders are kind of having to wait a whole another year if they want to get Virginia involved. Um, or at least, you know, this is about the budget and, you know, what kind of money Virginia's willing to put up. Um, so based on those options, will it pass, won't it pass, or will it be tabled? This state senator said to me off the record, not a betting man. But he would bet doesn't pass. We will see. I uh, got to have a lot more go. I think I, what I saw, and maybe this was from Michael Phillips, that basically if all the Republicans vote for it, they just need one Democrat to go that way, and then it would pass. So still seems like they're likely to pass, but, you know, it seems like there's momentum to make it a lot closer than people might have thought a few weeks ago. So we'll see how that goes. That's on Wednesday. Um, I probably will have another podcast at the beginning of the week. So if there's another information, we will see where that goes. Only other thing I want to get into before I get to the Logan Paulson interview is uh, with regards to uh, Deron Payne. Um, obviously, I've been writing about this a little bit. And the, the, the gist on Tuesday was that uh, I reported that Deron Payne did... Um, declined to participate in team drills on Tuesday because he is uh, angry over his contract situation, according to a source. Um, 
he subsequently did not he the same thing on Tuesday did not participate in team drills. Uh, today on Thursday he did not show up for OTAs. Now a reminder, OTAs are voluntary. I don't really view it as being that big of a deal that a player is or isn't there. And in his case, not only is he dealing with the he's in the last he's in the last year of his contract. I get not wanting to to, to get hurt, but also he did show up right. Deron Payne was there for meetings. Um, Deron Payne was there for some unit drills, and he's just there with the guys. Now, he wasn't there today, but showing up is, you know, a big deal. I, I, I think it's a good thing, and obviously the coaches would as well, but didn't show up for these other things for that. Now, uh, because, you know, if I could go back in time and, and, and do something differently, probably one thing I would do differently is sort of the way I phrased uh, something, and that is that I said in the in the tweet and in the story that he walked off the field in my head, walked off the field is different than stormed off the field. I didn't report that he was uh, hostile when he left the field. And I said specifically in the article that he walked off the field and to the practice field. I didn't say he he left the building. I didn't say he, he left in a huff uh, later uh, was able to get some more details about his day that he went to do weightlifting and so on, but not, not, uh, my only my only issue there from my own perspective is just like I said phrasing how it how it looks in the story things like that but from a reporting perspective I'm not changing any of it uh first first of all I physically saw him walk off the field and, oh and I'm sorry let me let me just back this up so Deron Payne himself tweeted uh yesterday um here's his tweet quote if y'all think I walked out of practice you goofy we always working. Uh, smiley face emoji, hashtag most hated. Um, and that led to a lot of people kind of coming at me on Twitter. It was kind of an interesting uh, time. <laughs> Not going to lie. I haven't had, uh, I haven't been the public enemy number one on Twitter before. Uh, certainly not in, in that kind of a way. Um, I'm not saying Deron Payne that. And Deron Payne could tweet whatever he wants. His life. Absolutely. Totally get the, the world's talking about you. Who knows what I would be doing. So no problem with Deron Payne saying whatever he wants. That said, he said we are always working. Next day, he did not go to OTA again. It's voluntary. Not, not just pointing out that chronology there. And like I said, I I'm good with everything else. Uh, I previously reported that the Commanders made him available for trade uh, prior to the draft. Uh, he I've heard that from multiple sources. He does have a contract coming up here. Now he's going to make you know over $8 million this year on the fifth year option. We will see what happens. I, I previously reported that it is anticipated that they will not, he will not get an extension now or not likely have the exact wording I used. Um, doesn't mean it's impossible. They could re, you know shift things around and there's a lot of variables here. What does happen with Terry McLaurin's contract? Uh, is there a world in which they decide they rather side with de- keeping Deron Payne versus Montez Sweat or Chase Young? Deron Payne, you could re-sign him, of course, at the end of the year, if not use a franchise tag. Um, if Carson Wentz falls apart, if that doesn't work out and you get rid of him, now all of a sudden you have a lot more money to work with. So there's a lot of things to consider. That said, I reported a while ago, like I said, that he's it's not a, he's not expected to get an extension. And now I'm reporting that he uh, passed on team drills because of his contract. 
So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. But that's what that's my story, and I am sticking to it. You got any thoughts on that? You want to hit me up at Ben Standing? I saw a few of you. Some of you are wild. That's all I can say. Um, all right. That said, um, like I said, we'll be out there on Wednesday. So I don't really have anything else to add on that front with these guys. Um, but let's do this though. Let's get the Logan Paulson. You want to hear from him? He's got a lot of really interesting insight. Um, former player. He's now with his team a lot. He's around them. He sees them. Um, you know, I don't say this lightly, but I think Logan's a really interesting analyst, and I, uh, that's why I'm really was excited to get him here on the podcast uh, in a more formal situation. We spoke at the uh, combine, but we're kind of a little, everybody was a little bit rushed there, so this was a fun sit down. So here we go, uh, my conversation with Logan Paulson talking Commanders OTA, the season ahead, and a bunch more here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right, joining me here as promised, he has, of course, become one of the go-to analysts for all things Commanders, part of the team website, all the fun stuff. He is, of course, Logan Paulson, my guy. I appreciate the time. How uh, how are you doing? It's two days of OTAs. You're, you're not been hitting, but you've been out there doing your thing. How, how are you feeling? Does it feel different watching versus uh, taking the punishment? It is a little different watching it, but I'm really glad because I don't I don't really miss it as much as I thought I might, you know, getting out there and watching it. And I'm kind of like, oh, this is good to just kind of sit back and watch and just enjoy football. And uh, it's it's good to be it's like such a blessing to have the opportunity to go out and watch high level football like this. So I, I love it. And I could stay out there all day. Um, but, you know, I can't. I got other stuff I got to do. So is it a different, you know. There's always a different perspective, like when you want on TV, it's the fans are watching the game from a certain perspective, but the players and the coaches are because they're in the arena, so to speak, see it a very different way. Do you now see no. the game at all differently now that you're more on the, now that you're on the sidelines or in the booth, so to speak, versus when you're on the field? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that's probably been most interesting about the whole thing is just how limited access the media has to the team and how that leads to kind of, some of these, um, you know, these hot takes or these misinterpretations of information, just because like the team is very guarded, you know, I'm in the building every single day, I talk to coaches, you know, at lunch every single day, I have like unprecedented access, which is fantastic. But even in that situation, you don't really know, you know, like I watch a ton of film, I'm breaking stuff down, and you, you have to kind of make inferences. And that I think has been probably the most interesting process about, you know, being on this side of the, of the veil, so to speak, is just because you don't, you don't like you don't know and there's no way to confirm it right and that's why i think you know we, it's a meticulous process just to get something very very vanilla in terms of factual proof or evidence uh and so that i think has been uh give me a lot more respect for this side of it you know in terms of like the stuff that's written and the stuff that's said because it is super super challenging to come up with real information and also even when you get what you think might be real information are you being snowed? Are yeah. you being played? Because yes. yes. I know like during the mock draft process, unless the people who people listen to this know that I'm into the mock drafts and do the various contests and things like that. And I definitely had like I had some prominent people in the league when I would show them my projected mock draft, tell me some would just be like, oh sure, whatever, it looks fine. Others be like, oh no, 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 you got this way off. And my sense was like, really? I don't think that makes yeah. sense at all. But then you look like, why are this, why is this person? telling me this and sometimes it's like oh you want me to not that i'm right. an influencer but like in your head you're trying to get people to think that this could happen and it, that's just an example of where yeah it is it can be intoxicating when you do get something and and yet you have to filter out kind of the, that but also like you said it's hard to get kind of anything sometimes 
Yeah. And that's, uh, and that's, like I said, that's given me a lot more respect for everyone's process. You know, you, Kime, Russell, uh, JP, all those guys who are working the team and trying to get information, doing these interviews, like it's tough, man. And then I, I got a lot more respect for, uh, for the media than I did when I was playing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. Well, it's just like anything else in life, right? You pre, you, you don't, you can't always appreciate something until you're kind of walking somebody else's shoes. Absolutely. And that goes, that goes for us too. You know, whatever our perceptions are of, the coaches, the players. I'm not, I've, I've never been a coach or a player. So I, I only yeah. know what I know type of, uh, type of deal. Um, but okay. But so, uh, two days of OTAs yeah. gone on. I was out there yesterday with the other media contingent. Yeah. You, uh, have, have, had a little more ex- extra time to check some things out. Yeah. Um, so what our plan here is a little bit is to talk now. Yep. And then we'll, we're going to reconvene. I don't know at the either end of OTAs or end of sure. media camp or something yeah, and yeah. kind of compare then to now kind of deal yeah but let's just start with that with the, with the headliner Carson Wentz first time we get to see him taking snaps he's been around the team for a little bit during the earlier phases but now we get to see him actually do some things I said this in the last podcast what stood out to me just watching him is even though I know he's six foot five and I know he has a strong arm to see all that on the field yeah. it was very like okay I get why people should be excited about what the potential is, not what the, what he will be, but what the potential is. What 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 did you kind of make of just seeing him for the first time here with this team? Yeah, obviously it's been two days, so it's hard to kind of make definitive grand statements. But in terms of first impression, it's much like uh, uh, you know, much like yours in the sense that like you see kind of this tremendous physical skill set that everyone's been touting for the last you know I don't know two months since we picked him up so I think that 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 was really cool to see in person it's also really interesting to compare him one-to-one with Taylor Heineke and just kind of how you know like there were some throws on Monday uh, Monday and today that where you know Heineke's trying to get the ball out there but he doesn't have the velocity it kind of dies on him then Carson gets up in the next series and it's he's throwing a laser beam out there and you see how it opens up sections on the field and how no throw is really too big or too challenging for him to get there now that being said that sounds like an indictment of Heineke but in terms of mastery of the offense you can tell Heineke feels much more comfortable, you know, and that would make sense. He's been here for a year, year and a half. And, uh, and that comfort level comes across. He's getting to his checks, he's getting through his progressions, but yeah, with regards to Carson Wentz, I, I think that physical skill set's great. I don't know how well he's seeing the field at the moment. I think he's doing, he did a fine job. He had a nice first day, nice second day, had a couple of throws that were a little errant, I think in terms of like, did he see the defender standing there? Did he understand the coverage? And again, this is so hard for me. This is so, I sound like I hate the way I sound right now. Cause like, uh, because like this is his first two practices against this defense and you know they're putting in new concepts offensively they're putting in new comp- concepts defensively so that um, that I think is probably to be expected but outside of like maybe one or two plays like that where he's throwing it to defenders that he didn't see I think all those physical assets are on full display and I think um, it, it gets you excited about what this offense could be especially you know with this Scott Turner emphasis on like this vertical passing game so i think that's something that I'm, I'm really excited to keep watching over the next couple of weeks you know you said it's hard to you don't want to come across as a hater and and yeah. and i hear you and like i i tweeted out yesterday sort of the the one one hour into the carson wentz experience uh about he's really tall he's got a really big arm dot 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 and then he threw a pick it was the play where corn elder picked him up and yeah. I, in my head i'm like they make bad throws all the time. Like this is yeah. like, it's not, it's not like a, an indictment of the play, but people of course went, some of them went cuckoo because I pointed out an interception. 
but I was going to say, and, like, from- and, to, and to be fair to that point, let's just talk about that play for one second. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no, but go like, for it. You know, it's a post, right? And then like, they're, it looks like they're trying to like a little bit different coverage philosophy, not coverage philosophy, but coverage technique from the corners where they kind of jam. And then they like, they jam the outside shoulder of the receiver. And as the receiver runs by them, they play through the inside shoulder. And so he's kind of running the, the corner, um, you know, William Jackson, the third did earlier, kind of running through to the space, which is a little bit of an unusual technique because what happens if you run an out there, but again, like that is something you don't see every day. And that's like a little bit of a wrinkle. Maybe that they're incorporating or they're trying out. That's like, that's another thing you do at OTAs. You try, you watch a lot of film of other teams. You see how they're doing their cover three, their cover two, their cover four, whatever they're doing. And you kind of add these wrinkles in. And I, and I felt like I'd never really seen that before. And I'm sure Carson once hasn't seen it either. So it only makes sense that you kind of fall into a play like that. Right. And I was going to sort of know, and that's interesting insight. I, I appreciate that. The, um, but like I was gonna say, like you, we the from the vantage point we're at, right there on the sideline, you notice the plays, the successful plays. He throws the ball thirty yards downfield to Deion yeah. Brown, and you notice the not great plays and everything else in between. It's just kind of run of the mill, and um, those are the ones we comment on. So it's either yeah. great or yeah. not good. It's not. Hey, actually, he was pretty good for most of it, but here was like one or two things that went wrong. Um, yeah. That just feels like it's common nature for any of these practices. And the practices are so hard to watch too. Cause like you, it's like when you watch film or when you're watching practice traditionally, like you stand behind the huddle, cause you can see kind of the offensive formation. You can see the contour of the defense but when you're on the side, everything kind of seems like two dimensional, just to give you like an analogy. It's like watching a cartoon as opposed to watching, you know, um, like, a, like an actual live action film. And I think that makes it really hard to kind of evaluate, you know, and um I'm fortunate that like, you know, I can sneak in the office and watch a little bit of tape or whatever, and you can kind of see the different perspectives. So you say, oh, like I thought this was this on the field, but in actuality, it was this. So you can kind of vet your perspectives and vet your opinion, which is something that a lot of people don't have access to. And, you know, it's so hard to kind of get fans to talk about things where it's like, oh, yeah, I like the way Carson like worked through his progression on like a stick concept, which is like a quick game, you know, like that is not an exciting thing to talk about. You want to talk about the deep bomb. You want to talk about the interception. You want to talk about the extremes, but I will say for a guy who's only been in the offense for, you know, this off season, basically, I was impressed with his process. You know, he looked like a pro. It looked like he was, he had a mastery, you know, which speaks to his intelligence and speaks to his professionalism. So, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, obviously the physical skill set's very impressive, but I think those intangibles are also very impressive with him, which is something that, I, you know, I don't know if I was expecting, but I, it was definitely nice to see. What, what's a, sort of an example of that that you could sort of recognize even in this uh, more limited format? Yeah, I think like just understanding like the timing of certain routes and like there was a mistake uh, with Heineke. Heineke's group was in, there was a mistake and Heineke knew it right away, but it was cool to see Carson Wentz like walk over to um, Scott Turner and be like, hey, like, is this what we're doing? And then Scott Turner like, no, 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 no. And you know what I'm saying? And like, that's that's big boy football stuff, right? Like you're taking ownership of the process, right? And he's, uh, you know, jumping up there with uh, Diami, he's jumping up there with Jahan, making sure he gets reps with those guys. That's a nice leadership quality you like to see from your QB1 and making sure that he's building chemistry with those receivers. So yeah, I think all that stuff is, is super important, you know? And it's, it's stuff that will never show up in print anywhere, but it's stuff that he's doing really well. And again, like it's, you know, I, I love Taylor Heineke. I love the competitiveness. I love how he's approaching this offseason so far, quite frankly. But I, I think also it's, it's a testament to, to Carson, you know, and what, it, what it's like to have a guy who's played a lot of football under his belt and their process and their preparation. And so you definitely see elements of that. And it's been two days. The offense is not overly complicated. That I got always got to catch that at this point of the year. But, you know, I was pleasantly surprised with that. And another element, <clears throat> which we'll probably talk about later, is that the last periods of both days 
were non-scripted periods. So like the coach is just calling them from the back. They're working real substitutions from the sideline. And I know that doesn't mean a lot to fans, but that's something that you don't normally see at this point of the year. You see that maybe the last couple of weeks of training camp leading into the first preseason games, right? So I think that um, I think that, that is also good. It shows that really high level of retention by Carson that he doesn't need the coach right there with him. He can call it in the headset again, which is a very unique thing to be seeing at this point of the year. The um, just the basic idea of learning a new offense. Like you hear whenever they do one of these film shows and you hear the, you hear them call the plays. Yeah. You're just like, what on earth is what, what yeah. are we even talking about? And then like, I, I talked to Jahan Dodson the other day and he's saying like learning the offense is like learning, you know, from being an English speaker and learning Spanish. It's like yeah. that could be <clears throat> From the quarterback perspective, I know you didn't play quarterback, but you've been around all this stuff. Can you compare it to a real-life experience to the degree of difficulty this is? I mean, it's probably more complicated than driving a car, but maybe less comp, maybe less so than building a rock to go to Mars. I, I, how do you compare a learning an, an offense if you're a quarterback? I think, the, I think the language comparison is very apt. You know what I mean? And I think, like, because you have to learn how to speak in English, right? And then you have to learn to speak in football. But the football is even more specific than just kind of a general colloquial football language. It's, it's specific to that team and that organization. Like, even something as simple as, like, how you call defensive structure changes depending on the organization. So you'll be in a conversation saying, oh, you know, like, we had this, you know, twins right, um, you know, two jet, uh, F stick, you know, Y option or uh, Z option. And, um, and they ran this cover three and this, whatever. And then you realize like, as you're talking through that, that unfortunately, like they don't communicate in the, in the number system for their coverages. They actually use words or some type of other verbiage. Right. So it's this whole kind of comprehensive language shift. And so for him and like for a quarterback, it's even more magnified because as a tight end or a position uh, player, like offensive lineman or whatever it may be, you have this opportunity to kind of like say, this is the section of the play that I need to know, right? I need to know the pass protection. I need to know the run concept. I need to know whatever, but the quarterback needs to verbalize all of that after hearing it in the huddle. And then as he's walking to the line of scrimmage, say, this is the coverage. This is the side of the field that I'm going to be reading based on the coverage. This is a potential kind of, um, you know, okie doke the defense could be presenting. This is the three technique. I need to can the run this way. Like there's just a whole nother level of processing that needs to go into that. And that's why the intelligence of that position is so incredibly important. And again, like for them to be running kind of this version of the offense this early is, is, it's pretty impressive that Carson's able to get there, I think. Um, okay. So, and to that end, like I was going to say, as I said, we're going to try to take some questions. I'll ask you now and then ask you in a couple of weeks. So you mentioned Carson Wentz's comfort level right now. Yeah. And again, also I'll ask you in sort of like a one to 10 scale. Now, again, we're getting, it's his OTA. This is not about yeah. how he will perform week one against Jacksonville. Just right now, based on expect, you know, kind of how players progress through a camp, especially with the new team. So what's your sense right now of Carson Wentz's, comfort level you think uh, in this office again it's only a couple of days it's, it's hard it's hard to know definitively I can just make observations and sure. like I said there was a couple times where a new concept or a concept that he's not familiar with you can like I'm not it's easy with the film right because you can see the whole scope of the defense I'm not like in my helmet like looking in a specific area but you can tell like oh that's probably a misread there and I will say that there was are kind of few and far between I can think of one from today and maybe two from the day before which is for a guy who's kind of again in a new system and these I will say that the schemes and the philosophy they're putting in at this point in OTAs is not overly complex not overly nuanced but for you to only have two of those I think is 
pretty gosh darn good. You know, he's not making like reading the wrong side of the field. And um, I think that's pretty impressive. So I, I've been really impressed with him. And another guy, you know, we might talk about this later, but I'll jump it in here is um, is Sam Howell has also done a very nice job. And again, he's working with the threes. He's working against lesser defenses. But in terms of his arm talent, his accuracy, again, his comprehension and his kind of like moxie, like that's been pretty impressive to see from a young guy who um, I was not as high on coming out of Carolina, South North Carolina. Yeah. No, I, 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 um, I, I don't want to, I'm not studying the tape to the degree that you are, but I was you know trying to pay attention, especially with the quarterbacks when we thought maybe these guys could go that route. And based on like where the, those top five guys in the draft were sort of being slotted, I kind of kept eyeing how, like if he was going to be the fourth or fifth guy, yeah. like, I, I sort of liked his potential. And like, now that he's here, the idea that he's like sort of Heineke, but with a better arm, I keep like, <laughs> I keep kind of liking that, that, yeah. that vibe. Does that kind of ring true? You just mentioned Moxie and some of that stuff. Yeah, I think, I think it does. It does kind of ring true. He does have a better arm. You know, I think his release is a little bit better. It's a little bit quicker. I think the ball kind of, it just flies out of his hand. It's such a weird thing evaluating quarterbacks because it's all this subjective language. Like, you know, when you evaluate a wide receiver, you can say, oh, he took this many steps instead of this many steps. Offensive lineman, oh, his hand placement was off. With quarterback, there's just something about watching the way the ball covers grass on tape. You know, how many lines does it cross and how long does it take? And I will say he's been a guy that I've been pleasantly surprised by. Again, he's had some kind of um, short, not short area, but like kind of target accuracy issues. So he's not like missing throws, but maybe it's on the guy's back shoulder instead of the front shoulder, whatever. But I do think that that's something that um, that I've been really impressed with with him as well. Um, I, I I started us on the quarterback. I'll open the I'll open it up to you. You tell me you've been watching it. You you know I'm sure your eyes gravitate towards certain aspects of either side of the ball, whatever it is. What's something just for you right now that just after a couple of days you've just noticed it stood out to you, good, bad, and different, whatever it is. Well, I think as a receiver, Cole Turner's got an opportunity to make a big impact in this offense. I think, you know, and you can tell that Carson and Sam and, and Taylor all have a certain level of comfort with him, which is uh, warranted because the way he moves his body, the way he can contort his body to catch the football and how sure that football sets in his hands after he makes the catch is, is really exciting. Now, he's got a lot of ground to cover in terms of pass protections, run blocking, all that type of stuff. But in terms of being a pass catcher, being like a difference maker at that F kind of move, maybe like a big slot type position. And, and you know, everyone's like, oh, we need size. We need to draft a big receiver, you know, to kind of create that size mismatch. I think he brings a little bit of that with him, you know, and like it'll be interesting to see how he progresses over the next couple of weeks. But he's a guy that, you know, has been very consistent day in, day out in terms of his effort. And also, like I said, the execution of like just catching the football. Like he had one, I want to say the first day, it was back shoulder, kind of he was running across the middle of the field. They threw it back shoulder. The defender was right there with him. And he was able to kind of get that shoulder around, catch the ball in front of the defender. The defender's trying to smack the ball out, strong hands, bring it in and uh, made it look kind of easy, you know? And now there's like this expectation every time they throw him the ball that he's going to catch it. And so, Again, he plays tight end, so I tend to watch them a little bit more. But, um, you know, I've been very impressed with him. And then also Curtis Hodges, a guy from ASU, the undrafted free agents, a guy that has really stood out to me as a guy who's going to be playing football for this team, if not this year, next year, in a meaningful way. You know, he can play in line. He's got a very nice understanding of how to run routes. He's 6'8". He's a tremendous athlete. So both of those pieces with tremendous upside, you know, and I haven't even talked about the kid from Ohio. I haven't talked about him because I think he's – more of a project than those two guys, but I think both those guys, you know, are kind of like, at least, you know, 
today, I would say they'd probably make the football team, which is kind of a crazy thing to say, I know. But, you know, like Logan Thomas is hurt. Um, obviously, Bates is your why. And then those two guys kind of flesh out that room. And so um, that's been a really pleasant surprise to me, you know, because I wasn't as high on Cole as some other people were. And so to see that suddenness show up, to see those hands, that catch radius show up, and to see the comfort level that the quarterbacks have with them, I think it's been pretty cool. First, yeah, first of all, I appreciate the fact that you stayed with the script and just went to the tight ends. I, I didn't even like, <laughs> I didn't want to lead you there. I was like, I have to see what happens. And yeah. you went there. So of course it's great. I, I, I will say this, like, so for those who don't know, or, and there's no reason anybody would, when we're at practice where the receipt where the reporters are able to be on the sideline, the tight end, when they're in the, uh, the units, position units, yeah. the tight ends are typically right in front of us. The tight ends and the running backs are the ones kind of in front of us. It was always great with Pete Hayner. It was a, yeah, it, it, was, right. it was a, it was a, you know, no no kids are allowed in that in when he was uh, out there on the field talking to the tight ends but watching the group yesterday even with logan thomas on the far field even with samus reyes on the far field i kept i was looking at all the different players they had like wow this is a really interesting group you didn't yeah. mention antonio gandy golden i sort of yes. forgotten that he was there and i'm looking at this number 18 i'm like who is this tall drink of water I'm like oh that's yeah. right he's there too like Normally we get excited about one intriguing prospect. In a yeah. There's like four or five guys. Cause if you're saying that hypothetically Hodges could also make this team, well, how many tight ends are they even keeping? Yeah. Um, so I think this is gonna be a really interesting roster battle kind of going forward here. I think that, and that's the thing that's interesting. Even when they drafted him, I remember I really liked Hodges coming out of ASU and obviously Turner was the much more touted prospect, but I thought, man, both those guys have some really high upside if they project the way they want. And so to, to Turner's credit, like, you know, you always kind of try and evaluate the intangibles of a prospect. And he's a guy that has shown up every single day and just works his tail off. You know what I mean? Like they had to run extra sprints on uh, Monday and he sprinted it like you would never would have believed the tight end group specifically for a, a false start penalty. And, you know, that is just like, he's got a little bit of a competitive mindset. You can just tell he's like wired mentally the right way. And so it gives me confidence in saying that guy's going to be something cool. And then obviously the physical tools of Hodges, you know, you mentioned AGG. I think after watching the drill work and watching the film, he's got a long way to go, you know, in terms of being ready physically. I mean, he looks the most impressive of the group. I mean, he looks like he could be a bodybuilder at this point. Like he is jacked, but he's got, you know, he's got a lot of learning to do. And then the kid from Ohio, the quarterback Rogers, again, like you, you're watching film and you're like, who is that big son of a gun running like that? And you're like, Oh, that's another tight end, you know, who's six, five, six, six, two thirty five. Like, I just, I can't remember even in my playing time of seeing a room that looked quite that physically imposing, you know, just from a height, weight, speed uh, measurement standpoint. So uh, I think it's, it's a, it's a very cool group and Logan Thomas isn't out there. Sammy's isn't out there, like you said. So, um, and Bates, you know, Bates has just been Mr. Steady Eddie every single day, blocking who he's supposed to catching the ball when it comes to him, maybe not the most exciting guy in the whole world, but I have a lot of respect for his game. And again, like you said, that position group becomes very, very interesting, you know, early in the off season. So, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, let's switch over to the other side of, of, yep. of the ball. A lot of the talk already has been about the defensive communication. Last year was a problem beginning of the year, the first six to eight weeks or so they've everybody's kind of openly admitted that Yeah. now they're all saying it's a lot better and okay. Yeah. Like William Jackson's not been there for, you know, he's had the full season. The, the, the top four defensive backs are essentially all, all returning. So that should help. Um, and so on when you this topic of communication can you tell already 
a change in communication? I mean, sometimes I can't tell if they're just all saying things are great, but they're really, you know, just talking or there's yeah. actual tangible ways to tell if it is. I think that's one of the things that's tough to tell, but I think an easier way to tell is just like, are there any coverage busts? Are there any kind of uh, guys running free? You know, and that's something I try to watch every single play. And uh, I'd say today there was a couple more kind of big bust-ish type coverages, but I think it was all stuff that could be, it was like with the younger groups, you know? So I think uh, those older groups are doing a good job. And I think just my gut, I, you know, I have nothing to kind of substantiate this because I didn't watch last year's OTAs because we couldn't. But um, it does feel like it's a little bit simpler than in years past. And I think that's a big element of just kind of making sure guys feel comfortable and are on the same page and ready to go. And um, they've obviously done a great job with the offseason program leading up to this. So I definitely think, you know, like, again, like there was a couple coverage busts today, but uh, nothing terrible, right? Not with the ones. And I think overall, like you see guys just playing much more confident, much more decisive, you know, Jamin and Cole looking much more, look, looking much better. And then obviously Cam Curl looks like he's poised for a big year, just over two days, you know, in terms of his pr approach and preparation and communication. So I, I don't disagree with that. Again, it's the second day. So it's really hard to tell. Like, I want to know what that looks like, um, you know, the second week on the third day, because that's when they've got a lot of their defense in. And that's when you're going to run into some communication issues because you've got more complicated stuff. The offense is doing more complicated stuff. You have more things you have to think about and defend. So let's revisit this conversation uh, then, you know what I mean? And yeah. see where everybody's at. Um, since you mentioned it, let me ask about Jamin Davis. Obviously, you know, when we talk, at least from my perspective, when we talk about where this defense can go, certainly a lot is going to be factored on that front defensive line and, and yeah. how healthy they are, what they all do and so on. But it feels like to me, like if we sort of assume they're going to be better, the Jamin Davis component is where this defense can go from pretty good to, okay, wow, you have a guy in the middle group there that can make plays. And that's obviously why they drafted him last year. Obviously he did not perform up to ex expectations for being the 19th right. pick. So the question is, where is he at now? So where's he where at now? He at? Um, I think that's a really good question. I just did a little evaluation of him for the show. Um, and, uh, and I think he, you know, obviously everyone is well aware of his struggles early on in the year, but I think he progressed nicely. And I think it wasn't kind of the most conventional progression, but I think he did a good job of, of improving in areas where he was struggling near the end of the year. And, um, you know, he's been on the record as saying that this is something that he doesn't want to repeat. He wants to make sure he comes out and plays with his hair on fire. And I think that looks to be what he's going to do. And, um, Obviously, there's still a little bit of an issue in terms of some of the stuff that he does. I think he gets a little high when he takes on blocks. That shows up. But in terms of seeing and reacting, I think the first two days of practice have been much better in that regard. And that's something that gives me a lot of confidence. He looks more confident. He's where he's supposed to be approximately, you know, based on my limited understanding. I haven't talked to a coach about it. But I think, um, I think all that stuff's really important. And it gives me confidence that he's putting himself in a good position. Again, there's a lot of time left to kind of have a breakout year. Um, and, uh, and a lot of that, you know, to me is if he handles this the right way, he'll show up. And then when the pads come on, there's another testing process in terms of how he's tackling and how he's taking on blocks and all those things. So. Um, sticking with the linebackers for, for a second, I'm obsessed with the idea of the first game of the year, Jacksonville gets the ball first. It's first down. Jacksonville's got a basic run formation look in. You're going to go with your base four, three. And I have no earthly idea who the third linebacker is right now. <laughs> like none, like David Mayo, but like, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. Like what does that matter? Am I worrying too much about something where I know they played mostly five or more defensive backs, like roughly 75% of the time. Yeah. But you still need the other 
part plus what if injuries happen or whatever do, am i making too worrying about this or is this something for you that you're like i still you still don't know either once you get past holcomb and, and davis what's going on uh, I think Kalik Hudson's done a nice job of the first two days. I think he's shown a nice physicality, and I think he fits their philosophy of getting fast athletic linebackers with high upside. So I think that's the guy I'm kind of keeping my eye on. And then, quite frankly, Cam Curl is the next guy, right? That's your linebacker. That's your Buffalo nickel. And then uh, Butler's another guy um, that I'm, I'm keeping an eye on, too. You know what I mean? Like what he's doing, how he's executing. Um, because, like, then if he's playing and he's playing at a high level, he plays like he did when he was in college, I think – you gives you more flexibility in the back end. It allows you to bring another piece in that Buffalo nickel role. And I think that's what you're going to be, you know? And I, like one of the reasons you can do that is you got guys like James Smith Williams and Casey too, who are big defensive ends who also can play special teams. So the prevalence and the importance of that fourth and fifth linebacker aren't as touching for this team because they have depth and teams players at other positions. So I think that's something that, again, like you probably want to bring somebody in you feel good about, but um, it's not as big a concern for this team as I think it is for other teams who are in, in that base structure more frequently. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I hear it. That's interesting. You think, I know they've talked about Percy Butler when they drafted him sort of in the Buffalo nickel mix, but yeah. Cam Curl was in that role yeah. before. Mm-hmm. And, and I know Chris Sims said he thought Percy Butler was the best free safety in the draft. You think that yeah. ultimately is where it'll end up in that, in that way? I think uh, one of the things with him is like, I had a chance to talk with him a little bit. He was like, Oh yeah. If I had to, I feel more comfortable. If I had to pick, I feel more comfortable playing post, but you know, I'll do whatever. And like his film supports that. I think he, he's a good post safety. I think he, that's what he did more of. Uh, But I think when you watch his film, he's a great blitzer. And when he plays in the block box and he plays that overhang defender, he's got enough juice to make you go. Wow. And so the thing that's been a little surprising about him is he hasn't been playing that much. And I'm kind of wondering if he's got some type of injury or if he's having a hard time picking up the playbook, um, which would be totally understandable at this point of the year because he's, he's new and he's coming to a totally different scheme. But he's been kind of rotating in with like that second, third group. And then uh, uh, DeForest, is that his name? Uh, the safety? Eric Forrest. Uh, yeah. Eric Forrest, yeah. He's, uh, he's been kind of the, the other safety with, um, with Bobby McCain and then uh, Curl's been playing in the box as the Buffalo Nickel. Okay. All right. In the last couple of seconds here, we'll, we'll bang through a couple of like, we'll, we'll do like lightning round type questions. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, the defensive line, I'm curious. So we know who the four guys are. Now, Chase Young's obviously hurt, wasn't away. I don't know if Montez Sweat was back today. That was the expectation um, and so on. But like the question for me is like, what goes on behind them? Who, who's, who emerges as like in a, in, a, in a position where you rotate guys in. So for you right now, who's the fifth defense? Who do you think like week one is the fifth defensive lineman, regardless of where the spot is? Who's the guy that we're going to be seeing the most on the field, talking about the most um, from that group? I think that's an easy one. I think that's Fedarian Mathis. I think, uh, you know, Deron Payne, Allen will be your starters, and Fedarian's going to get quite a heavy rotation early on in the year. I think obviously if Chase isn't healthy, I think it's um, – uh, I think it's probably James Smith-Williams. I think he's earned that opportunity, and I think Casey uh, – Casey Tool is going to push him for that spot. So those are the kind of the three guys I keep an eye on. But I think in terms of just rotational pieces that make this group better right away, it's Fedarian. And, um, you know, he's, he's had a nice couple of days of, of practice, um, you know, had a little bit of struggling, a little bit of a challenge, I think, for him with the outside zone stuff and the speed that that happens with at the uh, NFL level. But in terms of gaps, taking on double teams, picking for guys, like he did an excellent job by the first couple of days and kind of was as advertised. And I just expect that speed of the game to slow down for him. And he's going to be, I think, a very valuable piece moving forward. Um, we, we mentioned a couple potential sleepers, but I want to narrow it down. It could be any position. doesn't have to be tight end. 
Who's your roster sleeper? We have a long way to go before we get to oh, week one. Yeah. But there's always a guy who's like, wait, that guy made the team? Like You wouldn't yeah. have projected that in, in May. Total shot in the dark or whatever. Anybody for you, like, <laughs> okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a, put a nickel on this guy. Uh, yeah, um, I think a sleeper for me is probably Chris Paul. You know, I know he's a draft pick, but after watching over the first two days and watching, watching rookie minicamp, I think there's a guy who might be too valuable if he plays a lot in the preseason to let him sit on the practice squad and you know you have excellent interior guard depth and so like that's that is a big it's a big long shot but in terms of athletic upside there's a guy that i think you know just like i said just watch him over the first few days you can tell he's very very strong very very athletic also very raw but if he progresses like you know from rookie minicamp to today there's been a huge jump so does he keep progressing like that because that'll be really interesting to see uh Biggest concern right now on May 25th with this team? May 25th. So if you had asked me this before OTAs, I would have said uh, Norwell and Turner. But after watching them in practice, I think that's going to be actually, I don't want to say an upgrade, but very, very solid group of interior players. You know, just the way they're mm-hmm. competing with Allen and with Fedarian and the way they move and the way they're executing the runs and the way they understand the scheme in some ways it, it might be an upgrade because they understand the scheme at such a high level. So in terms of moving in a different direction, you know, I think um, I, I have to say, feel good about the tight ends. I think the receivers, you know, with Curtis Samuel and his usage is, is makes you feel very good. I'd have to say linebacker. I think if you really had to narrow it down for a lot of the reasons that we talked about, but also because you're relying on a big, a big growth curve for both those guys, Cole Holcomb included, you know, and I think um, that's something that you feel reasonably comfortable betting on but it is it is a gamble and you know i'm not a big gambler myself so that's a little bit of a risk um and all right so if i tell you right now you get to leave this interview you go into the film room you can turn on the tape of any player you want but just one guy you just want to feel good about football you want to feel good about life Mm. you just want to watch this person because they just make you think that the world is a better place because you enjoy watching their tape whose tape are you going to watch well, I'm going to give you like a big answer and then I'm going to try and narrow it down. I think um, all the rookies so far that I've watched, even the cornerback at Oklahoma State, have looked like ball players and look like guys who might contribute to this team moving forward. Obviously, this is the second day, right? But I think Jahan, like watching him win on an out route versus uh, a 12 yard out route versus Bobby McCain, like the stem, the approach, the double stick at the top, the way to create space. Carson Wentz throwing an absolute laser beam to him and him just looking like it was like, you know, him and his dad playing catch out in the backyard. I think is awesome. Fedarian, I think, like I said, has some issues, but in terms of taking on doubles and doing the kind of the nitty gritty work that needs to happen, outstanding. And then Brian Robinson, man, he is a, an impressive son of a gun. And so maybe this is my answer in a nutshell, because he has done a very, very nice job. Just you see his feel, you see his size. He's a better athlete in terms of like hips and shoulder movement than I would have thought. And so again, like all those rookies have just been really fun to watch, you know, cause I spent so much time watching them prior to the draft and then now to see them here and see them kind of living up to the, to the evaluation has been really cool. I, like I said, Cole Turner, I mean, again, lot, little, little ways to go in terms of blocking and all, you know, some of that minutia cause he basically played receiver at Nevada, but man, the way he catches the football and the way he runs routes and the way he competes like, gosh, I mean, it's an exciting group of young guys. And I think that's something that um, has, has kept me coming back to the film each and every day. All right, go read his or go check out his Instagram uh, page because he puts up a lot of film there. Logan underscore Paulson 82, an E in the in Paulson there. Go, of course, check him out on the commanders.com. He is literally all over the place 
uh, breaking down tape with Julie Donaldson. He's got a podcast. He's got a, he's, he's a multimedia star uh, and, <laughs> and he's really good talking about the commanders. Uh, Logan, man, I really appreciate the time and look forward to catching up uh, in a couple of weeks and see kind of kind of see where you're at. Yeah, man. Me too, man. I really appreciate you having me on. And uh, I, I appreciate you calling me a multimedia star. I'm just trying to get on your level at this point, Ben. Trust me. You're, you're what you don't, you, you need to, you need to surpass that. Trust me. That, that, that shouldn't take too long. Uh, thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. All right. Uh, many thanks to Logan Paulson for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Uh, have again, have a happy Memorial weekend. Be back uh, next week with more before the before OTAs, after OTAs, etc. So should be fun, excited uh, to uh, to keep this going, and uh, we will see what happens. There's always something wild in Commander's Land. But that's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. <laughs>